Today's episode of No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing or ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. I'm your co-host, Arthur Staple, Islanders beat writer from The Athletic. Missing in action today is our good friend Mark Parrish, unfortunately, but uh, we hope to have him back for our next episode later this week. So I'll be taking you solo through uh, the holidays with the Islanders. There's been uh, some ups and downs on and off the ice, Uh, so we'll try to recap them and see where they are. Right now, as they head into tonight, uh, visiting the Devils in Newark, coming off a pretty exciting one nothing win over the high-powered Avalanche last night. Um, the Islanders uh, had a few clunkers, I think, uh, coming into and out of the break. Lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets before they went into Christmas, uh, a game that was tied into the third period. Columbus has obviously shown in the last couple weeks that they're, they've turned some things around, but that was still... Uh, the kind of loss that you can't afford to have as a team like the Islanders sitting closer to the top of the standings than the bottom. And then coming out of the break, a very difficult uh, travel day uh, to get to Chicago on the day of the game for most of the guys. Uh, and it showed uh, Robin Leonard in the nets for the Hawks, was very determined to shut the door. Uh, Thomas Grice was not good for for the Islanders in net. It was a 5-1 loss. Um, but then, you know, a, a nice two-game turnaround to to finish that little between Christmas and New Year's trip. Uh, a good come-from-behind win in Minnesota, um, a 3-1 win that was kind of fueled by depth scorers, which is something that uh, we're going to get into a little bit more later in the show. Tom Kunakal had uh, had a big goal late in that game. Uh, Leo Komarov to Matt Martin for the eventual game winner, which was uh, Leo Leo uh, showing up big time in that one. That uh, you know he's had a very difficult year, not been in the lineup much, but uh, it was a real effort play and an effort goal and the kind of goal that the Islanders need to have and and certainly got a lot last year and and needed it there um and then kind of a weird game in washington on new year's eve day uh, a 4-3 win where they jumped out to a lead gave it back and then rallied again tom kunakal in there again playing on the top line contributing the winner in the second period and sergey varlamov uh semyon varlamov sorry shutting the door in the third period i think he made 18 saves against the caps and held the door shut against his old team uh which was a theme that we'll return to again after the New Year, um, not a great uh, two games after the New Year's. Uh, a 2-1 loss to the Devils, very similar to that uh, Columbus loss at home where uh, against an inferior opponent, team way down in the standings, the Islanders really didn't didn't play a, a hard-type game, a heavy-type game. Um, and then a 3 nothing loss in Toronto, which, uh, you know, I, I honestly thought the Islanders were the better team. They, they played a very structured game and kind of frustrated the Leafs, but the Leafs capitalized on their chances and the Islanders did not. And sometimes that's going to happen. 
And then the one nothing win again. Varlamov playing his other former team, more recently the the Abs. Uh, he was really ready to go and dialed in, and and Colorado brings it with uh, so many high end skilled guys. And it was nothing nothing into the third period. Anders Lee with the with the lone goal, and so here we are. You know, uh, I think since we were last together, I think that makes them three and three, which is not a great record. But uh, the Islanders certainly have banked enough points from their seventeen game point streak earlier in the season to feel like they can weather the storm through a couple of mini slumps and, and really mini slumps are all they are. They still amazingly in Barry Trotz's tenure where I think we're up to a full season and a half since we're right at the halfway mark right now. Uh, still no three game regulation losing streaks, which um, which is pretty impressive. And that's a testament to how well he is he has coached these guys up and and how conditioned they are to not let these things get away from them or, or change too much when they're losing. Um, it's an, maybe one of the more impressive feats of, uh, of Trotz's tenure that him and his coaching staff have, have been able to stop the bleeding. And, and you can see it around the league that, that some of the teams that started off really well who have started to sink back, whether it's uh, a team like Buffalo, a team like Philly that's now on the outside of the playoff picture after a disastrous uh, trip out west, um, you have to be able to, to, to stop the bleeding with a point or two, and, and the Islanders have been exceptional at doing that uh, this last year and a half. But I think the biggest news happened off the ice and the biggest thing that's going to affect the Islanders going forward into the second half, and that was the loss of Adam Pellick. Um, it happened last Thursday night before the game. Um, for those that are unfamiliar with uh, a pregame warm-up ritual that goes on around the NHL, around the AHL, around the ECHL, um, in other leagues across Europe, it's everywhere. It's a game called Two Touch. It's also called Sewer Ball. Uh, it probably has some other names, but Two Touch is, uh, is what I've grown familiar with it. Uh, a bunch of guys stand in a circle. They have a soccer ball. You can touch it once or twice. You have to juggle it. The ball can't hit the ground. You can try to drill it at one near one the feet of one of your teammates or opponents in the game, and you get eliminated if the ball hits the ground off your touch or... Uh, near you, it's kind of a judgment call of the other players. So you guys get bumped out, it gets down to two guys, and then there's a winner. And they probably go through it you know, four or five times, however much time allows between stretching and, uh, and meetings. And it's a weird game because not only from you know, the outside, uh, a media person who happens to be hanging around in the hallway, whether it's you know, waiting to talk to somebody or just sort of hanging around, um, they're playing this. It, it could be 10 or 15 guys with a soccer ball, low ceilings. They could be in a little hallway. There's maybe people pushing garbage bins nearby. It's always in the bowels of the arena, and you never know ball could get stuck. Uh, down in Tampa, they have uh, a, a walkway area that's got some storage space. Uh, the ceiling's probably about 50 feet high, but the ball can go up into the storage space. And I've seen guys in the Lightning you know, clambering up ladders and climbing into space with uh, 200 extra folding chairs. And you'd imagine like, I don't think I want to see Steven Stamkos up there if I'm a lightning fan or if you're a fan of the visiting team. But, um, you know, these guys are, uh, they're in good shape. They're professional athletes and they're very competitive. So it, it becomes a, becomes a thing that, uh, that they get very much into and maybe not the greatest thing to hear about, but that's the way it is. And uh, there are injuries, you know, there's been a couple that have been, publicly documented. I think um, Mark Borowiecki a few years ago with the Senators suffered a big cut on his leg before a game playing two-touch, and he was out that night. Uh, Anton Forsberg, who was uh, the Hawks' uh, third number three goalie a couple years ago, 
uh, got hurt playing two-touch. And that game is uh, before a game, and he was supposed to play that night. And that game is well-known because that was when an accountant named uh, Scott Foster ended up being the emergency goalie and got into that game uh, and ended up winning and uh, and became a bit of a, a you know an overnight uh, hockey legend uh, with his emergency backup performance. But um, but this one, the Adam Pellick, uh, it's a it's a ruptured Achilles. Uh, it happened during two touch. Lou Lamarillo wouldn't really say, but it's uh, it seems pretty clear that that's what happened. Uh, Pellick was a regular two touch player, and uh, now he's out for four months, and that's going to carry into May. So the Islanders would have to go at least to the second round again uh, to even think of having him back. And 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 I think it's it's you know Cal Clutterbuck being out. Uh, we talked about that. He he sliced his hand open uh, in Boston the week before Christmas. Uh, cut a tendon. He had surgery. He's out indefinitely. Um, he was at the Coliseum last night for the first time, I think, in a while, and uh, you know had a pretty serious brace on his hand. And um, not talking to the media, obviously, but uh, but I think his return is going to be a long way off as well. And that was a big blow to the forward group, even though Clutterbuck's not necessarily a big offensive contributor. He kind of orders the forwards well from the bottom up with being in that fourth line role. Pellick is a different story. Pellick is a guy that. Uh, of all of the defensemen on this team, I think Barry Trotz has come to rely on the most, you know, and it's a, you know he's come a long way since the beginning of last season when Trotz saw that Pellick and Ryan Pollock uh, could be a top pair and kind of fed them a little bit of that a little too soon, and within a, maybe six weeks, Pellick was a healthy scratch, even less than that, I think. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it was when they were out in California early in the season, he was a healthy scratch. He was healthy scratched another time uh, towards the middle of the season, but I think ever since that healthy scratch, when that pair came back together, uh, they've been a genuine top pair in this league. And and you don't get to be a top pair defenseman on the best defensive team without making some strides and without playing an impressive style. And you know, I think some of his his metrics are not great, um, especially this year. You know, the the shot share with Pellick on the ice was not too good, and they you know he and Pollock went through a a stretch of uh, being on the ice for a lot of goals against and not many four right after the 17-game point streak. But um, this is a guy who is out there in the most crucial situations, five on six. He's there, one of the first – he was second in uh, penalty kill minutes. Uh, he worked with Scott Mayfield on the first penalty kill unit for defensemen and was out there a lot. Um, and obviously working with Pollock, playing against top lines uh, of every other t- of every, any team that the Islanders played. So – uh, it's a huge blow, and as a guy who you know who makes only 1.6 million per year, has another year left, is still going to be a restricted free agent after that. He's an incredibly valuable guy to this lineup and this roster going forward. At only age 25, um, a real a real under the radar solid player, and um, and it's a huge blow. And I think part of the scattershot game they played against Jersey last week was was learning 10 seconds essentially before game time that their best defenseman would be out for a long long time you know when you tear your Achilles or rupture your Achilles uh, it's pretty apparent right away and it's super painful from what I understand so um, it's a it's a difficult situation for the Islanders Um, the way that they've kind of plotted their course going forward in the short term is Noah Dobson gets in the lineup on a regular basis Sebastian Ajo came up from Bridgeport. He still hasn't played. Um, that could change tonight. I'm curious to see if maybe Noah Dobson, after playing three games and having uh, you know what you'd believe are natural growing pains for for a 20 year now 20 year old defenseman who really hasn't gotten more than three or four games in a row yet, 
Um, you know, he was playing his first game on a real big stage in Toronto, and and uh, unfortunately, the highlight from that game that people are going to remember is Kasperi Kapanen walking him to get into the zone to set up the Leafs' first goal. Um, he had a couple of those uh, the other night too, last night rather against Colorado, and obviously. Toronto and Colorado are two of the best offenses in the league, and it's going to happen. And, you know, I think Barry Trotz had a good quote, said, uh, you know, death taxes and being a young defenseman who gets uh, undressed from time to time when you're in your first couple of years in the league. That's It happens to everybody. And I think Noah Dobson is the kind of kid who can shake that off pretty well. But there's going to be mistakes. And, um, you know, it's it's watching him play. You want him to advance and advance as an Islander fan and see how, you know, if he can get closer to that really high ceiling, but it's going to take some time. And I think that's, that's a pretty serious step back defensively. And I think what you saw against Colorado and even against Toronto is a committed effort by the Islanders forwards to make sure that their, their structure is strong too, because I think where the Islanders had started to get a little bit loose in some of these losses, whether you think back to the the wild uh, loss to the to the Ducks at home, or even the Nashville game before that, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, was they were trying to stretch the ice a little too much. Uh, you know, there's teams that can really stretch the ice well, and the Islanders are not necessarily one of them. Um, you know, when they're down, a, a guy who who takes possession well, like Pellick does, and, and gets the puck out of the zone well, he's not he's not going to carry the mail very well. He's not a, he's not the fastest skater. He's not the, doesn't have the most offensive instincts, but. He plays this, the strongest, simplest style on the team. And um, I think the forwards were starting to take some of that D-zone play for granted and flying the zone a little too early or losing their structure a little too much in the D-zone, and uh, it was starting to cost them. So I think these last two games, even with the loss in Toronto, I thought the structure was really good. You know, the, the, the two goals the Leafs had when the Islanders had Varlamov in, the, in that uh, was the one where Dobson got walked by Kapanen and looked like a simple two-on-two. And then it was a turnover by Johnny Boychuk that got turned back around for an Austin Matthews deflection goal. So um, I think other than that, and then in the Colorado game, you know, you saw Jordan Eberle selling out, uh, blocking a big shot late, or diving to, to keep someone off a off a weak side goal uh, after a puck that bounced around in the third period. Um, you know, they got I think it was thirty three blocks, and mo- and a lot of them were from forwards. So I think the the forwards understand the challenge here. Um, and uh, and really, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of ugly wins. They certainly were a lot of ugly wins, even when they were at full strength last year. So even, especially now with Pelic out, I think uh, I think that's going to be kind of the name of the game is to is to be as greasy as they can be and grind out a lot. And and the forwards are going to have to make some sacrifices for the you know from their offensive end uh, to be stronger in the in the neutral zone and stronger in the defensive zone. And you know, so far I think these last two games. Uh, uh, the results have been okay, and we'll have to see how well they can carry it going forward. But, uh, but like I said, a, a huge, huge blow for the Islanders losing Adam Pellick. And, and uh, in our next segment, we'll see uh, if, if there's any other options out there to help them on the back end or even up front where the scoring has dried up a bit. Before we get back to the Islanders, let's talk about DraftKings. The playoffs are finally here. There's only a few more games left before the champ is crowned. Don't be caught saying, wait till next year like 24 other teams. Get in on the action this weekend with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every day. From odds boosts to free bets, DraftKings has it all. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook app is America's top-rated sportsbook app. And to top it all off, 
DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now. You won't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code QUICK. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Don't forget, that's code QUICK and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So we talked about Adam Pellick being out, and obviously we mentioned Cal Clutterbuck being out for a while, and, and you know those are guys that are not going to show up on the score sheet, but, but you know the Islanders are, uh, Barry Trotz is big on roles and having having a, a you know a structure in his head too for what he wants the team to be. He wants them to be a four line team. He wants them to be a three defensive pair team. And now with Noah Dobson in there, I think there's a lot of mixing and matching. Um, and with Cal Clutterbuck out, you know the effectiveness of that fourth line is really reduced. Matt Martin and Leo Komarov are never going to give you anything less than a full effort, but but it. You know they're not the same kind of skater that Clutterbuck is. They don't mesh as well with Casey Sezikis. Uh and you know, the third line with, lately has been Derek Broussard between Michael Dalcall and Tom Kunakel has some wheels. And I thought they played a pretty good game against Colorado, um, but it's uh, it's been a bit of a black hole scoring wise. I don't think they have. I think they have one goal from a third line center this year, and it's not Derek Broussard and it's not Josh Bailey. It's Cole Bardrow and his penalty shot goal is one NHL goal from his his uh, exciting, unexpected stint earlier in the year. So, uh, like we said, they're 3-3 three and three since we last spoke to you. Um, they did score four in Washington, and uh, they have won three games, but um, they're not scoring very much. You know, their they're even strength scoring is, is way down from last year. They're still keeping the puck out of their own net pretty well, but um, as I wrote a uh, story that was posted earlier today, they're among the bottom three teams in the league in scoring from their wingers. And that includes Derek Broussard's six even strength goals, while most almost all of them came while he was a winger. I think they all did, actually. And Josh Bailey, who also has six even strength goals, all came as winger, even though those guys do fill, do play center from time to time. So even with that, they're just not getting enough scoring from the wings. Their they're leading goal scorers are Matthew Barzell and Brock Nelson, two guys that are having really strong first halves. But uh, and Casey Sezikis is up there again uh, as the number four center. And really, you know, when you think back to last season, it's not necessarily uh, you know Matthew Barzal and Brock Nelson's production that stands out. It's the production of guys like Valtteri Filppula, who, who had 17 goals. Uh, Casey Sezikis career high 20. Um, Casey's on pace for 16, which is still pretty impressive. But um, uh, you know, when you don't have that consistent bottom six scoring. Um, and we're just talking about the centers because now the, the four wingers that you that you combine in the bottom six, Kunakel, Dalcol, Komarov, Martin, I think that's seven total goals from those guys this year. Ross Johnson, is, who was the healthy scratch last night, three more. So, um, you know, that's that's 10 goals over 41 games. You definitely need a little bit more. But the guys that you really need more from are in the top six. Josh Bailey, one goal in the last 22 games. Anthony Beauvillier, one goal in the last 21. Jordan Eberle, three goals all season. And two of those came in the same game against the Red Wings. So, you know, when they when they finish that 17-game point streak at 16-3-2, maybe, 
you know, you, you wanted to believe, but you probably didn't believe that this was the, this was the real team. They were probably a little bit, a little bit less than this kind of team. Ten nine and one since in the next quarterly segment. Um, they're probably not that bad either. But um, the, the whether you look at the underlying numbers to say, oh well, at least he's getting his chances. If you're talking about a guy like Eberle, then you're not as concerned. Or are you? Because uh, of the guys on the ice, uh, you know, expected goals share um, is uh, is a is a metric that is hard to is hard to describe. Um, you know, I I go to Natural Statric. There's some other places that compile it as well. I'm sure the numbers slightly vary from site to site, but it's essentially uh, a number that incorporates all the factors that go into a scoring chance and whether you expect the player who's got that scoring chance to score a goal from position on the ice, whether the puck came across the slot line, the middle of the ice to make the goalie move. Um, you know, it, it's not just, uh, man, he should have scored right there. Um, so that's a, it's a metric I like to look at. And, uh, and like I said, it is a little bit hard to understand. And, and I think in the context of Jordan Eberle's real struggle of a season, um, between the first 21 games and the last 20 uh, not that many Islander players expected goal share has gone up from that first really successful segment to the last. A lot have gone down by about five percentage points or even six. Bailey, Beauvillier, guys you'd expect. Even Matthew Barzell's dipped a little bit. And you can see it, you know, the eye test agrees with you that he's not getting himself into dangerous shooting positions or scoring positions lately for whatever reason. And he's had a few turnovers and he's kind of a little bit of drift, as Barry Trotz would say in his game. But Everly's numbers have gone up. And I think he's seemingly getting the same opportunities or some even better opportunities and just not burying them. So when you see a guy who um, is a career, let's see here, a career 13% shooter. So he's a volume shooter. It's not a, it's not a crazy high number. But this year, shooting 4.6%. So he scores on 4.6% of his shots. Um I think there's going to be a regression back, and you know he's going to have to hustle uh, to get to 20 again. And, and last year, when he had 19 and he scored five of those in the last week of the season, you were like, "This this can't be this guy, the guy that we got who had 25 the year before and was flying around the ice with Barzal as the called Trophy winner." Um, and now with a new five-year deal, uh, you know you need this guy to score goals, and certainly the way he was in the playoffs. But um, it's. Uh, it, you know, you either have to believe that the underlying numbers tell you it'll come, or uh, that he suddenly lost the ability to to produce uh, in tight. But I have to believe it's it's somewhere more towards the former on that one. Uh, but failing that, <clears throat> the Islanders do have some options. You know, it's still early in the in the trade season. Trade deadline isn't until February twenty fourth. Um, I feel like every story, every other story I write is about who might be available, who the Islanders might be targeting. You're never going to know with Lou Lamarillo. It's just the way it is. But there are some names of uh, from teams that seemingly are, are headed out of the race as we get closer to that February 24th mark. I think, you know, we've got the, you know, the CBA five-day break. Some teams have it before the All-Star game. Some teams have it after. The Islanders have it after. Uh, so that's a long stretch of time for GMs to to ponder where their teams are at the end of this month, and it's only a couple weeks away. So uh, I think as we get towards that All Star weekend and the five day breaks for teams, we're going to see, you know, teams like the Kings might start to consider selling some of their rentals. A guy like Tyler Toffoli, who uh, you know has been a twenty goal scorer, 
uh, has a big body, is used to playing a style that the Islanders play, uh, might have some appeal to the Islanders. Um, the Senators are probably starting to feel like they may be a little too far out of it with too many teams to, to leap over, and they've got a couple of guys that could interest the Islanders. Jean-Gabriel Pajot is really the, the headlining guy. I'm not too sure that any of these guys are worth a first-round pick, um, but I think if you're talking second or third, there's probably a prospect cost to go with it, and I don't necessarily believe in talking to some executives with other teams or agents or whoever that the Islanders prospect pool is the most attractive. Um, obviously a guy like Noah Dobson isn't going anywhere. I don't think they're selling low on Oliver Wallstrom who's um, struggled a bit as a pro. Um, Kiefer Bellows has seemingly resurrected his, his prospect status uh, with a really hot uh, last month with 13 goals in the last 16 games in the AHL, but I'm not, I'm not quite sure he's back there. Simon Holmstrom is still, only 19 years old. I don't really know what they, they think they know what they have in him. And Otto Koivula is still a guy, I think, who a lot of teams are not necessarily seeing as, as a B or B-plus level prospect, more of a, a guy that's uh, a bit more down the road. So, um, you know, I think if we're talking strictly draft picks and maybe whether it's a third rounder and then a conditional pick based on how far the Islanders get, uh, we've seen a couple of those trades in the last couple of years. I think a guy like Pajot, who's a center, but I think even acquiring a, a number three center behind Barzell and Nelson helps, you know, much the way Clutterbuck does when he's in the lineup. It orders the, the Islanders forwards a lot better. He, You know, if a guy like Pajot or a Riley Nash from Columbus, although Columbus seems to be back in the race, so I don't know if they're going to be sellers right now, or maybe even a guy like Vlad Nemesnikov from Ottawa, you bring in someone like that as the number three center, Derek Broussard, goes back to the wing in the top six, um, you know, Someone maybe like Komarov or even Matt Martin goes to the bench. Uh, your fourth line has a little bit more speed. You know, I think a line of Sezikis, Dalcal, and Kunhockel to me is probably more to Sezikis's liking than than having slower guys there, uh, even though he has good chemistry with Matt Martin. Uh, and then you've got a third line with perhaps a new center, and uh, you know whether it's Ross Johnston on one side or or whoever, and and a guy like Josh Bailey maybe on the other, which which gives it uh, some scoring punch, but also some strong defensive uh, tendencies. Uh, if you're still looking at Ottawa on a very cheap side, there's a guy like Tyler Ennis, who's just a, a hardworking veteran guy who can probably fit in up and down the roster. Maybe not um, most electric scorer, but definitely a spark plug. I think in the same vein, a guy like Connor Sheary in Buffalo, and Buffalo's probably sitting there thinking, you know, they just made made a bunch of moves to try to get Michael Froelich in there, who still hasn't joined them because of immigration issues, but they, they swapped out Marco Scandella, they've got Michael Froelich, uh, and they're still very much on the fringes of the race. So in a couple of weeks, they may decide that uh, it's time to start compiling a few more picks for some of their extra guys. Connor Sheary's been in and out of the lineup. He's certainly a guy who's produced in the past. Um, it'd be interesting to see... Uh, what he could do on an Islander team where they value hard work and also a little bit of skill. Um, I don't think we're talking about super high-end guys. After the Taylor Hall trade, I think uh, of the guys that are known to be possibly on the move, Chris Kreider is really the only one that you can think of that's like a, a huge impact player for a team that gets him. And I don't see him going to the Islanders just because it's the Rangers and the Islanders. I don't believe uh, Kreider has the Islanders on his no-trade list, but it feels like one of those um, they make so few deals that I, it's not it's not really a, a chip you want to waste as a player to put put the in the team's rival on your no-trade list. So uh, I don't have that confirmed, but I think um, I think Kreider 
could conceivably be traded to the Islanders without his permission. But I certainly don't see it happening, and not for the kind of price that the Islanders are looking to pay, um, which would be something cost-effective because they don't have a ton of prospect assets and probably want to still hold on to their picks for the near the near term. Um, you know, Detroit is very much out of it. I don't think they have a lot of appealing forwards. That's a problem. And, and really now, um, with Pellick gone and Dobson in there and Sebastian Ajo waiting in the wings, do the does Lou Lamorello think that they need another veteran defenseman? You know, someone who's just more of a, a depth guy um, to to have around. You know, a kind of a, a in case of emergency break glass type of guy. Um, you know, in years past, you've seen guys like Adam McQuaid. Think think guys like that who who are not necessarily major major defensive types, but guys who can fill in in a pinch. You know, uh, in the for the Islanders, it's always been Radic Martinek, but. I don't think he's available anymore. He's happy coaching and living on the island. Um, so I'm curious to see where it goes. There's still a lot of time left. I don't I don't see Lou making a panic move here, even with the scoring drought that's happened that's been going on for a couple weeks now and, and in the wake of the Pelic injury. I think they want to see how Noah Dobson picks things up. Um, you know, the last time he had a little run of three games when Nick Luddy was out, his third game was really good. Uh, I believe it was against the Sabres. It was probably his best game of the year. So now he's into his third game, and I think he kind of throw out that Jersey game because he didn't know he was playing until about 15 minutes before the game started. So, um, you know, he he was not great in Toronto. He had some ups and downs last night against a very, very good team, Colorado. They're on the road in Jersey. I'm sure the Devils are going to try to get some of their higher-end guys matched up against uh, Dobson to see what he, he, can, he can handle. And then the Islanders have a few days off until the Bruins come to Barclays Center on Saturday. So, um you know, I don't think the Islanders feel like they need to make a move on defense. Um, they are one injury away from having Dobson and Ajo in the lineup and then not a lot of safety net, but can't really plan for that these days in the salary cap world. You have to keep your space open. And as far as the Islanders' forwards go, they do have internal options. You know, Kiefer Bellows, who I mentioned before, he's up to, I believe it's uh, 14 or 15 goals now on the season. He's had a very nice run. Um, I think there are still some doubts about his skating ability. Um, and about, uh, you know, his, his hockey IQ, I guess, you know, he's, he's got a nose for the net and he, he's a volume shooter. He loves to shoot the puck from a lot of places. And that's not really the style the Islanders play. They don't want guys just firing pucks on net. Um, so I'm interested to see if he can keep it up for the next week or so and whether that earns him, uh, you know, a chance at the front of the line, if the Islanders do want to make some changes, cause they are carrying only 22 players right now. They've got a spot open uh, on their roster. And then Andrew Ladd, who who did come up for that Columbus game right before Christmas and went right back down after a game where I thought he acquitted himself pretty nicely, uh, didn't accomplish a whole lot, but also didn't look very out of place, and has seven goals in the last eight games now in the AHL. And I think if he were you know uh, ten years younger, you'd say this guy's too good for this this level. Um, so you know it's a little bit of a different situation with a guy with his contract and his situation health-wise and uh, fit in the room and all those things that have gone on through his three-plus miserable years on the island. Um, but, I, you know, ha- having talked to him when I went up to Bridgeport last month, uh, he's got a very good attitude. You know, I think he's, he's very comfortable with where he is in his life. Um, he wants to play in the NHL. He's done everything he's needed to do uh, recovery-wise from his two knee injuries. Um, and I'm And I have to believe that Barring a change of heart, he's probably at the front of the line right now to be the next guy called up. And and having him 
in that you know in that role of a third line guy or even a fourth line guy. I think he's played a little bit with Casey Zizekas, and I wouldn't mind seeing that again. Um, a guy who's smart positionally has a little bit of snarl to his game, can still put the puck in the net clearly. Um, so I think he's sort of a you know it's a, it's the simplest option uh, to just call him up. There's no need to change anything around. He you know is adding an extra million plus to the salary cap. Uh, not a big deal. Um, so trades are obviously a little bit more sexy, but sometimes the simplest move is is the right one. And uh, and we'll see. It's probably the least disruptive too to the to the room because you don't have to give up any assets or consider doing anything to to change the chemistry. And um, I'd be curious to see if Lad came back for a little bit of a stretch. Uh, how you know what kind of role he'd fit in because he's a guy who when he's going well and we haven't seen that for a long time who can play up and down the lineup as well. And he's a, he's a winger who's scored goals before. And I think that at heart is what the Islanders are looking for. So um, a lot of options on the table. Um, I don't think Lou is sitting around doing nothing, just as Garth Snow, when there were no trades happening, was sitting around doing nothing. It's hard to make a trade these days. Uh, I think you saw the way the Sabres had to juggle things around just to get uh, you know, a, a depth flare like Michael Froelich in, and uh, it's uh, it's a difficult time to make trades this far out from the trade deadline, and with so many teams still thinking that they're in it. Um, and I guess we'll close uh, with a bit of uh, you know Islanders related uh, news. Peter Laviolette fired last night as coach of the Nashville Predators. Um, very ironically, uh, yesterday morning, I I grabbed Barry Trotz and pulled him aside and just sort of had remembered from a couple weeks ago about his strong comments uh, about LaViolette uh, putting his best players out for a late five-on-three and that 8-3 Predators win over the Islanders at the Coliseum last month. Uh, Barry was not happy. I believe the phrase was, says a lot about him. Uh, that was the most telling that Trotz had to say about LaViolette. And nobody really got LaViolette's reaction. I don't, I don't imagine he was in a mood uh, to say anything about it at the time. And now... You can see that he was clearly on thin ice for a while, and I think the outdoor game loss uh, probably put it over the edge for the for the Preds and David Poyle, or GM. Um, so I asked Barry uh, if he'd been in contact with Laviolette at all, and he smiled and said no. And he said, you know, "I'll probably see him in Nashville." It's it's a you know, and we had a little talk off the record. It's it's a very small community, the the world of coaches, and they've both been doing it a long time. And those are the only up until today when John Hines was named the next Predators coach. Uh, Laviolette and Trotz were the only two coaches in the 20-year history of the Predators. Uh, so I imagine them being that closely linked and both working with David Poyle, who's still very close with, with Barry Trotz. Um, there's, a lot, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. And, um, you know, the, that, that incident kind of stands out now as sort of the last strong act of Laviolette in his time with the Predators, which includes a run to the Cup Final. Um, so certainly a successful run there. And uh, when we get uh, our good friend Mark Parrish back on the show, I'm sure he will have lots of things to share about uh, Laviolette, who he said many times here was his favorite coach to play for in the NHL, and a guy who you know kind of springboarded into the NHL with those early 2000s Islanders and went on to win a Stanley Cup a few years later, and um, you know has is uh, will go down as one of the even if he doesn't get another job from here as one of the most successful American-born coaches in NHL history. It's been uh, an impressive run taking three different teams to the Stanley Cup final. And I'm sure Islander fans wish that he had gotten a little more of a chance to, to do that with those Yash and Pekka parish Islanders. But um, it is interesting to, it was interesting to kind of hear Barry's perspective. And 
um, talk a little bit about that coaching fraternity and, and, you know, even with such strong things that Barry said and probably some strong words that might be coming back from LaViolette uh, privately, um, still guys that will still talk about things and, and hash it out. Uh, and I'm sure even now that LaViolette's gone from Nashville, they, they might still find time to do that. So uh, a noteworthy piece of uh, current Islanders news, I guess, in a tangential way and some old Islanders news to, uh, to close the show on. So... That's all we got for today. Uh, I said Islanders-Devils later this evening and a long layoff. And in the meantime, we'll get Mark Parrish back on here and uh, chop up some new topics for our subscriber-only episode later in the week. So I thank you all again for listening. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. See you next time.